Hey guys, I'm Tash. And I'm Andy. And you're listening to Bewildered. The podcast where we share stories about the weird, wonderful, and often downright perplexing of the animal kingdom. This is a project that was born out of some of the weird encounters Andy and I have had with animals as ecologists. You're listening to our sixth episode, part six of a seven-part series. So welcome, and let's get started, shall we? The title of this episode is, wait, I thought you were dead. So Tash, what have you been up to lately? Andy, this is not the time or the place. This isn't a social catch-up. Do you see wine anywhere? Mm-hmm. Did you know that lungfish odoliths are gelatinous? Oh, you're a jerk. You read the article, didn't you? Yes, that's right, everybody. Tash is a famous journalist. She wrote an article for Fish Magazine all about Australian lungfish. Tash, tell the good people about it. I hate how cheery you are about this. Well, Australian lungfish are a kind of living fossil, a species that's remained largely unchanged for 100 million years, and it's native to Australian waters. But, you know, you could just, like, go and read the article if you really want. Uh, We'll post it on Twitter and Facebook now that Andy has dubbed me in. But researching about the Australian lungfish got me thinking about other living fossils, you know, other species that by all rights should be extinct, or that we thought were extinct but have sort of come back to life, so to speak. Brilliant. What did you have in mind? Andy, do you know about coelacanths? Tash, it was the most famous fish discovery in the 20th century. (sighs) One marine biologist talking to another. It's really annoying. Well, you know what they are, but do you know how they were discovered? Well, not the whole story. Well, smarty pants, sit down for story time. Smarty pants? Story time! (laughs) Our story starts with Marjorie Courtney Latimer. It's 1938, and we're in the small South African port town of East London. Marjorie was the curator at the local museum. She was mates with the local fisher, who, when he made port, would invite Marjorie down to the dock to see the catch and take any weird specimens back to the museum. So just before Christmas, December 23rd, The fisherman comes back to port and invites Marjorie to see what catch they have. She stays and chats but doesn't really see anything of interest and she's about to leave when she notices a fin sticking out of a pile of sharks and rays. The crew clear away the fish and she sees what she later describes as the most beautiful fish she's ever seen. After some heated discussions with the taxi driver about how to take this fish back to the museum, She's able to get the five-foot-long, pale blue and silver-marked fish back to the museum. (laughs) I'm sure that's a really fun conversation to have. Hey, buddy, can I put this giant smelly dead fish in the boot? I don't know what it is, but it could be really important. Right? I feel like I've had those conversations before. Anyway, so she gets the fish back to the museum and trawls through reference books. She's looking for anything that can kind of explain what this really weird fish is. And eventually she comes to a startling conclusion. She finds that this has to be an ancient species of bony fish. It has to be a coelacanth. Tash, you're going to have to explain why this is important. Well, first off, at the time, coelacanths were thought to have gone extinct 65 million years ago and were only known from the fossil record. The most recent fossil is around 80 million years old. These fish have barely changed at all in their morphology since they first appeared in the fossil record around 360 million years ago. Living fossils. That's not all, is it, Tash? No. You see, these fish are considered the forebearers of modern bony fish. Their closest living relatives are lungfish, like the Australian lungfish that I wrote about. There's a little bit of contention about this, but it's also believed that coelacanths were closely related to the fish that eventually evolved into tetrapods or four-legged vertebrates and emerged onto land. This fish is a connection, a direct connection to our ancient past. So amazing. So have any more been found? Well, it took a while. It took 15 years for another specimen to be found. 
and it was found in the Comoros Islands in the southwest Indian Ocean. The genus of this species was named Latimeria, after Marjorie. There's still a small population of these fish in the Comoros Islands today, but more have been found in different parts of East Africa. In 1997, another species of coelacanth was found by Mark Erdemann in Indonesia when he was studying the coral reefs there. So we now have two species of this ancient fish to learn from, and more importantly to try and protect. Both of these existing species of coelacanths are considered endangered and are internationally protected. Like everything else in the 21st century, the Bewildered Podcast is on social media. You can find us on Facebook, just search Bewildered Podcast, and you can find us on Twitter, at BewilderedCast, all one word. We'll be posting links so you can learn more about the animals we discuss in each episode, and you'll also find videos, photos, and a little bit of behind-the-scenes content. So like and follow us and tell us your favourite weird nature story. So Tash, our theme today is, wait, I thought you were dead. Basically, it's about Lazarus species. Species that we once thought were extinct, only to be rediscovered. My story is about an amazingly cute critter called the Lord Howe Stick Insect. And his stick insects are not cute. Tash, watch this video of them and tell me they aren't cute. We'll have this linked up on the social medias. Okay, Andy, what am I watching? Look, there are eggs. Oh, is that like a green tree frog popping out like a giant pus pimple? Oh... No, now it's making me think of flubber, you know, and it's just green and oh, moving more than it should, more than anything has a right to move. Uh, okay, now I see how it kind of looks like an insect, but cute, I mean, uh, that's a bit of a stretch. Well, I guess it's all a matter of perspective. Would it help you if I told you that David Attenborough loves them? Oh, that was a low blow bringing David A into this. Anyway, it's beside the point. The story of these insects is amazing. These guys used to be really common on Lord Howe Island, a small island 700 kilometres east of Australia in the Pacific Ocean. This island was inhabited in the 1800s, and back then the stick insects were so common they were used as bait for fishing. These stick insects look like big, skinny cockroaches. They're also known as land lobsters. They're kind of large and black and kind of creepy crawly. Do they resemble in any way flying cockroaches? Because I detest them. Not really at all. They're kind of like a mix between cockroaches and stick insects. When Europeans were settled, mice were introduced. And in 1918, a ship ground on the reefs around the island and black rats were introduced. Oh, I hate rats so much. And they are so bad for islands. I just, blah, there's nothing good about that. Yep, and these rats decimated the insect populations. So much so that after the 1920s, no more Lord Howe Island stick insects could be found. Also, another 12 invertebrate species and 5 bird species were driven to extinction because of these rats. Okay, so heaps of species died, and yet it's the stick insects that you're interested in? Well, yeah. In the late 1960s, these insects were declared extinct, though there were rumours that some of the insects still survived on Ball's Pyramid, a small, sheer, rocky outcrop about 20 kilometres south of Lord Howe Island. Seriously, this rock is crazy. It's about one kilometre long, 55 metres high and 300 metres wide. It's just a sheer rock face used by some birds to nest and that's about it. In the 1980s, this island was made off limits by everyone but scientific researchers. 
to protect the animals there, but rumours persisted. So in 2001, some Australian scientists decided to mount a trip and prove once for all that these things had gone extinct and there were no Lord Howe Island stick insects there. I love that great Australian optimism. (laughs) Yes, not to find them once again, just to prove they're not there so everyone would stop pestering them. I love it. So when conditions were calm enough for their boat to approach the island, the scientists climbed nearly 150 metres of sheer rock face up and found nothing. Exhausted and dehydrated, they made their way back down the cliff and saw a small bush. This bush lived in a small crevice and contained what was probably the only soil on the whole rocky island. In that soil, the scientists described a rather large poo. (laughs) Everything comes down to poop. Yes, there was a large poo on the soil. So they decided to come back the next day. To investigate the poo? (laughs) Yes, Tash, to investigate the poop. But instead of the poop, they found two Lord Howe Island stick insects. I guess that's disappointing if you were really after poo. (laughs) They weren't after poo, Tash. This bush had been feeding the world's entire population of Lord Howe Island stick insects, and that soil was where they laid their eggs. This small bush and the small handful of soil had been sustaining the world's only population of Lord Howe Island stick insects since the 1920s. That's ridiculous. They should have gone extinct for that. But wait, how did they actually get there onto this tiny rock in the middle of absolutely nowhere? Well, the scientists kind of theorised that maybe they floated there as discarded bait from the fishermen I mentioned earlier, or that birds from Lord Howe Island would grab sticks to build nests on Ball's Pyramid, and maybe a stick insect got caught up with those. So in total, 24 insects were retrieved from the island and breeding pairs were established. Biologists have now bred thousands of eggs and are planning to reintroduce the stick insects. When the rats are eradicated, of course. Get it? Eradicated? I can't believe I let you keep that joke in. All right, moving on, Andy. Tash, you're a horse kid, right? Sort of, yeah. Great. Once a horse person, always a horse person. I need to clarify here that I was not a crazy horse person or a centaur or anything. That's a distinction I would like to make. To clarify, not crazy. Sure. What if I told you about the Lazarus breed of horse? Like unicorns? I loved unicorns when I was little. I really wanted to have one. That or a puppy. But I felt like a puppy was more realistic. But I really wanted a unicorn. Tash, what? No, they're not real. Pay attention. What What is so interesting about Caspian horses? Well, they only grow to around 10 hands. That's around a metre tall in non-horse people speak. Not a crazy horse person. They basically looked like scaled-down modern horses, not like the Shetland ponies we have today with their stumpy legs and bad attitudes. These were vital to some of the largest empires in history, the ancient Mesopotamian and Persian empires. I love that. In my head, it's all like, these tiny horses shall build our empire. But, you know, that like seems like an oddly inefficient way to build an empire. You have to remember, ancient horses were smaller than modern horses. These Caspian horses were mostly used to pull war chariots and carts, and they needed to be small and fast, not big and clumsy. Also, in the area, it was really hard to breed and maintain such large horses because they took up so many resources. So, small horses it was. They were originally bred in areas around northern Iran. The earliest known specimen was found in a graveyard that dated back to 3400 BCE. Seriously, everyone should read up about the Asian Persian Empire. It is amazing. The landmass that controlled was huge. There were giant, well-advanced cities. Hell, even stories of the royal court makes Game of Thrones look tame. Andy, you know I love Game of Thrones, but this is an ecology podcast. Moving on. All right. Well, eventually the Persian Empire started to subside and was finished off by Alexander the Great. The breed was still used, but slowly went out of style when larger horses were able to be bred and maintained. 
With successive Islamic Empire and Mongol Empire conquests, the horse fell out of interest, and the last record was from around the 7th century. Modern scholars believe the horse had become extinct. Until? Until Louise Farouz, an American horse breeder in northern Iran. She noticed a small bay stallion pulling a small cart in the Elburz Mountains, but its body was like a well-bred horse. These horses were being used by peasants in northern Iran as beasts of burden. The horses lived in semi-feral conditions, where peasants would occasionally let them out into the hills. So the breeder found the horses and started breeding them for children to ride. Interestingly, due to the Iran and Iraq war, all horses were swept up for use. The Caspian horse nearly became extinct again. Luckily, in 1989, Farouz was invited back to identify what was left of the Caspians and start a new line and breeding program. Nowadays, these horses are bred all over the world and are considered great mounts for children. What other possible purpose could there be to revive an ancient breed, right? Yep, sometimes species rise from the dead simply for the amusement of small children. Such is life. Andy, okay, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? Well, definitely you got to choose the horse-sized duck. I mean, a hundred duck-sized horses is crazy, incredibly cute, but overwhelming. I like to think they'd have really high-pitched whinnies. (laughs) Okay, what about the horse-sized duck? What kind of sound would it make? (laughs) The Bewildered Podcast is co-written and produced by Andy and myself, Tash. If you'd like to know more about any of the topics we've discussed this episode, please follow us on Twitter and Facebook, where you'll find much more content. Don't forget to follow us on SoundCloud or subscribe to us in your podcasting app of choice. Also, feel free to leave us a rating as it really helps other people to find us. Our music is by Poddington Bear and thank you for listening.